So Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1. This is God's Word to us, and it is living, and it is active, and it is sharp, and we thank the Lord for it. Genesis 13 verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold, and from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for the possessions that they had were so great, and they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. And so Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt, toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted with him, lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Maram at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. You have a Bible handy. Uh, let's turn together to Genesis 13, those verses that we read uh, earlier. Here's a word I want us to remember and think about a little bit today. It's the word trajectory. Trajectory, I think we know what it means. It's the path or the direction along which an object moves. So if you're a golfer, you are obsessed with the trajectory of your ball. You line up with the target line and you hope that your trajectory will follow to the target if you are an archer, you will be interested in the trajectory of your arrows. And we know that when it comes to those sorts of things, just a, a little shift in the trajectory, especially the beginning uh, of the trajectory, 
uh, eventually can change the outcome very, very significantly. Uh, so, for example, uh, the target is missed or, or, or whatever it might be. And we know that even from uh, flying from, from one place to another. Uh, apparently, if your pilot is a little bit sleepy and he takes off from Belfast and he's heading to New York and he's one degree off course, by the time you get to New York, well, you won't get to New York at all. You'll, you'll miss New York by about 60 miles. So trajectory really, really matters. I'm sure they've got ways of fixing that on the way across, but, but it's worth thinking about. And what I want us to think about this morning is particularly the trajectory of our lives. You imagine your life has a, has a path, a direction, a course of travel. And the decisions that we take change the trajectory of our lives. And sometimes just even little uh, small shifts produce pretty dramatic results. And we see that with Abraham, and we see that with Lot in this part of the Bible that we're in this morning. Remember what we've seen so far in these chapters? Uh, God is at work. He is choosing Abraham, has chosen Abraham, in order to form a people for himself. And that people would be the people that he would bless. And his intention for them is that they would be uh, the recipients of his blessing, but also th those who would demonstrate the goodness and the greatness of God to the whole world and ultimately would bless the whole world. And partly they would do that in Maine, they would do that because it would be through that line, through Abraham's seed, that Jesus would come. And so God calls Abraham from his pagan background, and he embarks on this great journey of faith uh, to the land which God would show him, uh, holding on, as Calvin said, to the bare word of God. And we've seen last time how Abraham took a, a major detour from his walk of faith. He ended up in Egypt. There came a famine. He, he relied on his own ingenuity. He went to Egypt for food in order to save his own skin. And then he, he sort of passed uh, Sarah off as his uh, sister, uh, and the whole thing was a bit of a disaster. But God looked after him, and when he comes back to the land, we find that he is calling on the name of the Lord again. So his relationship with God has been restored. His uh, lapse in faith had been temporary, uh, and upon repentance, his faith flourishes again. And what follows is introduced to us in verse 5. Now, Lot, who was uh, moving about with Abraham, had also flocks and herds and tents. So this is uh, his nephew, Lot. And they are such a big company that there are problems. Now, uh, later on in chapter 14, we find that uh, Lot gets kidnapped. We're not going to look at that story particularly but uh, Abraham is able to muster a fighting force of 318 uh, men. And so, so there's, we, we imagine there's a great company of, of people, maybe a thousand people or more, traveling uh, through the desert together. And we see in, in verses 6 and 7 that there are these problems. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were uh, not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. Sometimes we've got the idea, certainly in our culture, that material, uh, uh, material goods are a sign of God's blessing. And sometimes we think that that was the way it was in the Old Testament. It's not necessarily the case. Wealth can be seen as a snare in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. There's a wonderful little passage in Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 10, that says this, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, 
but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, he's, uh, perhaps Solomon is is saying, uh, too little could lead me to take some shortcuts and lead me to dishonesty. Too much could lead me to forget God. And certainly here in this situation, this incredible prosperity of Abraham and Lot was not really a blessing to them. It was a trial. Now, Abraham is a different man than when he went to Egypt, and we see that he's able to maintain his trust in God through the circumstance that he finds himself in. We, we find that. He, he sees that the wise thing for them is to separate, and it would have been expected that Abraham would have made that choice. He was the elder of the two, and yet he graciously gives the choice to Lot. It's a, a very generous offer. Verse 9, is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Well, we want to look at the decisions that these men make and their consequences and the trajectories that they are consequently traveling along within their lives. And we'll do so under uh, two headings. The first of all is the, the, the grim mistake of living by sight, the grim trajectory, sorry, the grim trajectory of living by sight, and then the rich blessing of living by faith, the grim trajectory of living by sight. This is, of course, what, what Lot does. He makes no waste no time in making his choice. You see what it says in verse 10? Uh, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. That's like Eden. So it really was quite remarkable. Uh, Like the land of Egypt towards Zoar, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. It specifically says that he looked up and saw. Now it doesn't mean that he just give a casual glance. It means he had a really good hard look. He really thought about it. And it wasn't a a spur-of-the-moment decision, probably. It's likely that as Lot had been journeying through the land with Abraham, he found himself looking at the plain and thinking, my, that's a really choice part of the land. That would be a good place to be. Life would be easier down there, and we'd be close to the city, and the city brings all sorts of advantages. Lot had all of this worked out, you see. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul describes the Christian life, and he says, we live by faith and not by sight. He contrasts two different ways of walking through this world, just living by sight thinking only in terms of what you can see, and leaving the unseen world, the things of God, out of your thinking. And that's what Lot is is doing here. And so as Lot is making this decision, he's not asking the question, what would this mean for my walk and for my witness? What would God want me to do? Where, where will I get to know God? best. None of those questions entered his head because those are questions of faith and not questions of sight. And he was just thinking in terms of what he can see. And so as he makes this decision, he sets his life on a certain trajectory, and it's not a good trajectory. The, the, the initial results uh, seem small, but they do become greater. And it's hinted at in verses 12 and 13. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, 
while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, here's how it works for Lot. At first, he doesn't go too far. He just lives among the cities of the plain. And then he finds himself near Sodom. And we're told that the the men of Sodom were particularly great sinners. And all the people of the land, of course, were strangers to God, pretty much. Uh, they were all sinners. But, but those in Sodom were, were, were sinners of a, of a particular, uh, particularly severe kind, as it were. And, and we don't know if Lot really knows this before he surveyed the area. I suspect that he did. But even if he didn't know it by then, by verse 13, he knows it. And that's the time to get out. That's the time to go back to Abraham and say, Abraham, I have made a colossal mistake here. I cannot maintain my walk and my witness amongst these people. I I, I cannot pursue the Lord as I should. I'm going to have to go to a different part of the land. But he doesn't do that. And he gets more and more entwined with this godless people until he just finds that he can't really break free. And so you see the progression that Lot goes along. First of all, he he looks, and then he chooses, and then he lives near Sodom. And in in chapter 14, verse 12, we actually find that he is living in Sodom. So he's moved into the city. And in chapter 19, we actually find that Lot is sitting at the city gate. And that's really it's significant. The city gate was where the influential people of the city were to be found. It was like the local council. In other words, Lot had, had, had got himself into the leadership of the city. He was now one of the decision makers. And so we discover in that chapter also that his, his daughters had married men from the city. So you see, Lot has been entirely sort of dragged in uh, to the whole culture of Sodom. Now, First uh, Peter tells us that Lot was a righteous man, that the, the things that were going on in Sodom grieved him. But nevertheless, he's become entwined in the whole city. So you see this story, this, the story for Lot, the trajectory of his life. He looks, he chooses, he lives near, he lives in, he sits at the gate. His family marry the locals. Beginning in the summer, we looked at Psalm 1. It describes two ways to live. Some people think that Psalm 1 is a little reflection on, on Lot. Blessed is the one who does not walk in, this, in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Lot does exactly what this Psalm says you shouldn't do. Now, maybe there are some of us and we say, well, you know, isn't that what we need in these days? Don't, don't we need people who know the Lord to get onto the council and to and get into the parliament and into the boardrooms of our land to influence society for good? Is that not the sort of cultural engagement that we need today? And of course, it's true. We, we, we do need that. And we pray for that. We pray for Christian people to be in positions of, of influence. But we find that Lot is not a, a salty Christian of influence. He's hopelessly compromised and ineffective. He's a salt who has lost its saltiness. And we see that the relationship that 
Lot seems to have with God seems to be pretty shallow indeed. And here's a warning for us. It, 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 looks, as if, <clears throat> it looks as if as a believer, he sort of scrapes through. It's not a good result. It's not, a, it's not an aim to have in your Christian life. How do you want to, to finish your Christian life? I just want to scrape through as one escaping through the flames. But that's what maybe happened to Lot, but it looks like his family don't even scrape through. He loses his wife. She looks back. Her heart is in Sodom. His daughters become entwined with this wicked society. You see, the choices that you make, I'm going to say this, especially if you're a parent, the choices that you make as a parent are not for you alone. Now, all of this took place several thousand years ago. But these things we see repeated day and daily among God's people today. God's people are tempted every day to live by sight, to, to make their decisions, to make our decisions on, on things that we see, to, to leave the things of God out of the picture. And therefore to set our lives on, on this pretty grim trajectory. So, Christian businessman has an opportunity to do a deal. He knows it will prosper him immensely, but he knows too that there are aspects of it that are not entirely above board, and so he, he weighs it up, and, and he, he really wouldn't want to be known as a Christian in that deal because it really would make it very awkward for him. What's he to do? Maybe a Christian young person has the opportunity to to date or to eventually marry another young person who, who treats them really, really well, who has a good job, who's able to provide and bring so many good things into the marriage, but they're not a Christian. Maybe a Christian family has the opportunity to move to <clears throat> a beautiful area that would have all sorts of, of advantages, and, and, and yet they know that they wouldn't be able to be involved in a, in a good church in that place. And you see, choosing to do those sorts of things are, are all choosing just to live by sight and not by faith. It's forgetting that we have a, a God to whom we are accountable, a God that we need to seek. It's to do what, what Lot did as he stood at Bethel and he saw the lush plains and he said, to go that way would benefit me, me hugely. And I'll I think about what it means for me spiritually some other time. Maybe by the grace of God, there's someone here today and you have a decision to make. And here you are in the presence of God amongst his people under his word. And you know that there are paths before you and one of them would set you on a trajectory that will take you away from the Lord and not closer to him. Brother, sister, do not go along that path. You see, Lot thought he could have it all. He set his heart on the wrong things. He thought he could have all that the world offered and, and he could have the Lord as well. And what does Jesus say? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
The, the way the world encourages Christians to live is to say, seek first the Lord, or seek first the world, and, and, and then the, the, you'll, you'll catch up with your faith. God will sort it out. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the trajectory we need to take. If you're, if you're a golfer, that's your target line against which we line up. Seeking his kingdom first. The grim trajectory that comes from living by sight. Well, just in a word or two, the, the, the rich blessing of living by faith. This is, of course, what Abraham does. What a different man he is compared to what he was in Egypt. There, you remember, he took things into his own hands. He was deceitful and scheming. He, he wasn't prepared to trust God and his promises. But now he's open-handed and, and generous. And the thing is that you see that Abraham seems to have realized that God can genuinely look after him. Even if he does have the less productive pastures, God can do it. And so he trusts God now. He has confidence in his ability to keep his promises. And so we know that sometimes choosing to go God's way might mean that things look tougher for us. It might mean that things are tougher for us. But God is in this trajectory. And so you will not ultimately be the loser. What has led him to this position? Well, he's back to where he should be. You remember that we noted last week while he was in Egypt, there was no mention of Abraham building altars or calling on the name of the Lord. But, but now this story opens and closes with, with those activities. He's calling on the name of the Lord in verse 4. And as the story ends in verse 18, he's living at the site of his altar. It's clear that Abraham is a worshiper again. The trajectory of his life, you see, is full of, of the worship of God. And it's as he does that, as he takes this sort of costly decision to say, Lord, I'm going to put you first, and I'm trusting you to look after the consequences. It's then that God comes to him and reaffirms his, his promises to him. Look at verse 15. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be, down, could be counted. Abraham Maybe he needed to hear that for all sorts of reasons. Did he think that, that he'd lost a lot by seeing Lot walk off into the fertile plain? And God says, it'll all be yours and your offsprings. All that you can see, even the bit that Lot's going to now. Abraham was, was learning, you see, that you can't outgive God. Put the Lord first and let him determine how your life will look. You will not be the poorer for it. It's, it's the shape of Jesus' life, this, isn't it? In this, Abraham sort of foreshadows the Lord. We were looking at, at two Wednesday nights ago in the men's Bible study at Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1. Jesus stands in the, in the line of sinners waiting to be baptized by John in the Jordan. It's foreshadowing his identification with sinners as he takes their sin to the cross. And so what does Jesus do there? He, he makes the, the hard choice, the choice to go God's way, to put his Father first, as it were. And, and in that, the affirmation of the Father comes, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And you see, Abraham's life is... is 
mirroring, foreshadowing that of the Lord Jesus who gave his life for you. Abraham put God first. God reaffirmed his promises to him. Maybe he was still stinging from his experiences in Egypt. Don't you know what it's like whenever you mess up as a Christian? You feel this sort of shadow hanging over you? Was he thinking, for example, I wonder, is there still a place for me in the promises of God? Egypt was a disaster. I, I, I've been rescued from it. But maybe, maybe God doesn't feel the same way about me as he used to. Have I sinned myself out of his blessing? Have you ever thought that? And God comes to him graciously and reaffirms it all to him. No, Abraham, you did mess up, but you're not outside of my power to keep you. Don't think I'm disillusioned with you. I have no illusions about you at all. I know what you're like. And I saw all that would happen in Egypt before you ever set a foot there. You're still the one that I chose. And all that I have planned for you will be yours. You see how determined God is to bless this man? You must know then that how determined God is to bless his children. The application this morning is really simple, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. It's a story that sort of tells itself, that preaches itself. And the question is simply this. What trajectory is your life on? As you line yourself up for the, the shot of your life, are you aligning yourself with God's purposes in every part of your life? Are you taking into account the unseen God as you seek to live by faith and not by sight. It might mean that there are choices that you make that, that aren't immediately for your benefit. It might mean that there are choices that you make that others can't quite understand. But God knows, and God will not be your debtor. Let's take a moment just in quietness and think about how this word applies to each of our hearts. Let's pray for a moment.